Ride Report, a podcast from the Master Executive Council of JetBlue Alpha for the Union Pilots of JetBlue. Now from New York, Ride Report. Well, welcome back, JetBlue Alpha Pilots and other podcast listeners to this episode of Ride Report. I'm your host, J.R. Hall, JetBlue Alpha Central Safety and Focal Gatekeeper. Look, we're going to get right into some new details on the upcoming activation of 5G C-Band and the associated interference risks. But to recap from our previous discussion, and as you can find on our episode list here with Ride Report, the previous topics, first and foremost, the information is ever-evolving. Some of the topics that we may cover here could be slightly different in a few hours or a few days or even in the next few coming weeks. So it is paramount and we encourage each and every one of our pilots to stay connected either through Alpha communications, company communications, or both. Secondly, there is no one-off solution to manage the interference. We can't state this enough. Every aircraft and every variant of an aircraft be it JetBlue or another airline, can be met with different operating criteria. And lastly, this is obviously a lot to take in. If you find this information valuable, please share it with our fellow JetBlue pilots. And lastly, we in Central Air Safety, ADO, and training as well, are always ready to answer any questions you may have. Our contact information you can find in our committee pages on b6alpha.org or send us a PDR which is now accessible via the Alpa app. Little Bigger Group joining us on this go, so we will welcome back Central Air Safety Vice Chair Vaughn Ritter. Vaughn, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. ADO Chair Doug Marchese is joining us. Doug, hello. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. And a big welcome to uh, the podcast. First time joining us, Todd Lysak, Alpa National Training Council Chairman, as well as the JetBlue Alpa Training Committee Chairman. Todd, how are you? Very good, sir. Thanks for having me. Guys, let's jump right into this, and Vaughn, I'll, I'll send this one to you first. Where are we right now, knowing that 0500Z on the 19th of January, where are we right now with 5G, and what do we expect coming up tomorrow the 19th, starting at 0500Z? As it stands right now, uh, midnight tonight, or 05Z, at this point in time, the telecoms are planning to turn on the 5G network. The NOTAMs that have been issued by the FAA will go into effect and become effective at midnight tonight. Industry groups, A4A, ALPA, and the airlines themselves, the CEOs wrote a letter yesterday, are pushing for a delay or a change to the way that's implemented. As it stands right now, there's no new information, but that could change. And these were like mitigation ideas that they had? Was Is this similar to the two-mile radius or something Correct. like that? Correct. Uh, right now, they're asking for a two-mile radius around the NOTAM approaches and airports. Doug, what's some of the latest activity between, uh, we, we know that the radio altimeter manufacturers were working with various other entities. What's the latest on, have there been any of these AMOCs approved for, for anything that we might use here specifically to JetBlue? The telecoms, gave, as we, I think we covered in the last uh, podcast, but the telecoms have become more forthcoming with the information regarding their towers, locations, power, and, and that sort of thing. So the radio altimeter manufacturers have been working alongside the aircraft manufacturers to put out the alternative means of compliance. There are alternate means of compliance out there right now that pertain to certain Boeing and certain Airbus aircraft. However, we don't have any of them currently. So every aircraft slash RA combination has to be uh, studied 
and has to be addressed for, for that specific combination. So though you may see that certain Airbus 320s do have uh, an AMOC at this time, we don't. That doesn't mean they're not being evaluated, just that they haven't been approved yet. The approval process goes from the manufacturer to the FAA and then back before being released. So I hopefully we'll see uh, an AMOC put out for our aircraft going forward. Regarding the 220s and the 190s, they also do not have any any AMOCs at this time, though as far as I know, they've been uh, sub- submitted to the FAA, but we're still waiting to hear back. Doug, I'd, I want to talk to you about the bulletins here real quick, but before we get into that, Vaughn, for you, it, specifically to NOTAMs and how these approaches, these areas, these airports uh, could be affected by 5G interference. NOTAMs, for better or worse, it's the only way still that we know that we're going to be able to find out information specific to an approach, an airport, or an area, correct? It is. That's correct. And the FAA went uh, scorched earth on it. They went to the worst case scenario. So they've put out several different sets of notums that are applicable to us. One being for the entire airport itself. Uh, No Cat 3, no Cat 2, no Autoland, no HUD to touchdown for the uh, 190. And then they've gone, looked at specific approaches that use RA in some aspect. For example, the RNAV RMP at JFK mm. that they've noted individually. So you can't auto land at JFK as an example at all on any runway. Uh, for the RNAV RMP, even if the weather's clear in a million, you can't shoot that approach to one three left or one three right. And that's a great example of something specific to uh, you know one type of approach that could go across all three fleets. But to get specific into each individual fleet, and I know Doug, you had um, a, a good hand in crafting these bulletins. What exactly do the bulletins that are available on my Comply three sixty five now broken down between all three fleets? What what do they contain? What do they say? So to give you uh, just a quick breakdown of of what the structure is, because they each one is slightly different as the manufacturer recommendations differ. Uh, initially, they they just cover the background uh, and then give an example of a notum, which is which is an important piece. But it just kind of breaks down the the AMOC process, the actual notum process, and and what is restricted. Then it gives the effects portion, and that's really covering two things. One, it's covering potential impact to the RAs from the manufacturers. So what the manufacturers saw in their testing, what they are telling us could be affected. Then it it adds a portion that came from the uh, safety risk assessment that the company did. So we have the manufacturer's breakdown and then additions from the company where they found that there could be an impact to our RAs. And then after that, the manufacturer recommended actions and then the reporting portion. So that actions portion of the bulletin will differ by fleet. For example, you may see the 320 talking about disconnecting the autopilot and flight director, whereas the 220 also references the auto throttle. And I can get deeper into the actual bulletins, but for now as a breakdown, then you have the reporting section. If you see an RA anomaly, what you report to ATC, and then how you would do a write-up in your logbook, and then FCR and ASAPs after that. Doug, as far as the specific bulletins themselves, how do we as pilots work with that? Are there any, is there guidance? Is there tools that are in there so that if we do 
see this, if we do expect it, if we are living it in real time, is there anything contained within those those documents, those bulletins themselves for any guidance or tools to, to handle that real time? There are. And I know Todd will cover some of this later, but from a very base level, it, it gives guidance regarding active monitoring, system monitoring, and making sure that we're vigilant and we're aware of the entire process from takeoff to landing, that we're monitoring our FMA and we're monitoring the systems. It also covers the, the necessity to go around, to give yourself time, and to make sure that you're in control of the aircraft and that you monitor your, your vertical, your lateral path, and that you're in control and that you go around when necessary. Um, like I said, it's, it's fairly base level here, and I know Todd will go a little bit deeper later. You said it briefly real quick, but we want, let's, let's take it back to the reporting aspect of it because that is literally the only way that any any other entity, be it ATC, be it the company, is going to positively identify potential 5G interference versus something else. And there's there's quite a bit, unfortunately, that is packed in for the captain to that require reporting. Go through those one more time from beginning to end. You had a great breakdown of it earlier. Yeah. So it's actually, if I, we can get a little granular here. Um, so if we see something, right? So you have to look at it from the perspective that if we see an anomaly, or if we see an RA issue in flight, we don't really know what's the cause. We're not going to assume what the cause is. So the first thing we're going to do is notify ATC. Let them know what we're experiencing. Let them know what we saw. That way, that information can get to ATC as well as other aircraft. We also want to notify dispatch so that they understand what we experienced, and then we can have that information translated to other other JetBlue flights. Once we land, we want to make sure we do a logbook write-up. It's very important at this point to write down what we experienced. We don't want to say it was 5G. We don't want to, we don't want to speculate. We want to write down what we experienced. We don't, it's not our job to determine if it was a, if it was a maintenance issue or if it, was, if it was interference. We write down the specifics of the event. That way they can troubleshoot. After that, we submit an FCIR. In the FCIR section of GEMS, they created a new uh, report called Equipment Failure Deficiency. This allows us to actually put in the 5G information then, and then that can then be given to the FAA for their radio, uh, radio altimeter anomaly reporting form. So it allows the industry to get that information through the FAA. We also recommend an ASAP. The ASAP allows us to get that information anonymously into the, the industry reporting so that way all the airlines can get a, the system itself can get the information and address it accordingly. We want to make sure that that information that, or what we're experiencing is getting out there and it's getting out to the masses. So that way we can all work together as, to, to find these problems and mitigate them quickly. There may be some follow-up. That's only to determine if there wasn't enough information in there to try to get as much information as possible for the troubleshooting process. Again, we don't want to speculate. We want to give tech ops the information that we have so that way they can do the best job possible of determining what the issue really was. Vaughn, I want to bring you in on this because this is, I think we all agree, this is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. What is a pilot supposed to do if they're not sure if 5G interference is something that, that they're coming into conjuncture with? What do they do if they're not comfortable with 
the 5G interference possibility for a specific flight? Well, I mean, the safety of their flight is paramount. That's the first thing. So they need to take the time they need to understand the effects and the uh, scope of of the area that they're operating in as far as the notums go, the possible effects to the aircraft and how to mitigate those. Um, if they have questions specific to their flight, coordination with their dispatcher is the best real-time uh, way to get the answers they need. The company's setting up a bridge and instant command with fleet captains and, and other people that are experts on this that will be in the building with access to dispatch to help answer those questions. So that's going to be your best real-time uh, way to, to deal with it, whether you're on the ground or in flight, if you experience something. And as far as ALPA, always open to taking questions as well. We are um, on the committee page of the ALPA website for the Central Air Safety Committee. Our phone numbers are there. The best way to ask questions uh, that aren't time critical um, would be a 5G PDR. There's everybody's going to be watching those uh, very closely and we'll get responses back as quickly as we can. Question for everybody here. Join us on the, on the podcast here. We can reasonably assume that, and I, and I, no pun intended, that call volume is more than likely going to be high. We're used to that with one department. This is going to be an entirely different department. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. So with that being said, and to go back to a statement that the company had said on, on their pilot call with 5G interference, that they expect delays. It, it's not going to be a shock and surprise that it's going to take a little bit longer to get in touch with a dispatcher. Does anybody want to expand on, on justifying the fact that this is so critically important that we're taking the time to do this if we have a question to reach out and call? The, the company and ALPA, Central Air Safety, you know, we both recognize that uh, safety is, is the paramount objective. So pilots, you know, we're not saying to create a delay if you don't have to, but if there is a need to get information, everybody involved with this expects you to take the time to find the answers you need before you go operate. Yeah, we, we all understand that you know this, this this new process with these notums. This is definitely time consuming, and it's complicated and convoluted. And if you need to take the time to go through the notums, you need to call your dispatcher. You want to look at your fuel. You want to look at your alternates. These are all things that you have to do before you depart and you have to be safe and no one expects you to rush that. And if you need to reach out to the dispatcher or, or your other resources, that's definitely something that you should do and you should take the time to do that and make sure that you feel comfortable, that you feel safe, and that you feel you've looked at all of your contingencies before you depart. And now that we're sitting here talking about coordination as far as before the flight leaves the gate... We're going to get in the national airspace system. We're going to depart for our destination. We're going to notice these notums. There's going to be a lot of planning and a lot of conceptualizing that has to take place. I want to bring in Todd. And this gets really down to some of the more poignant messaging that are contained in each one of these three bulletins that the company put out on the pilot monitoring behalf, to flying on the pilot flying behalf, to be cognizant enough to take control of an airplane if something correct isn't being done. That's an entirely different level of, of seriousness and engagement on behalf of pilot flying the pilot monitoring. Todd, when it comes to PSC authority and, and joint dispatch authority and TEM, what are some of the biggest concerns that, that you have going forward as far as crew complements, how we're 
working together and and what should that mindset be handling this stuff real time i completely agree jr you know i think everybody's hit on a couple of these topics as we've uh, been speaking today again reiterate we, we see that the company and the industry is putting out communication that uh, there could be flight disruptions there could be delays there, there's going to be and frankly that that's part of the responsibility we have as the pilot in command uh, and I would say pilots in command because we're a crew up front and time and time again, things like this come up where we show the value of a well-trained two pilot crew in our airplanes all the time. So one of the things you talked about was, you know, the active monitoring portion of that. Um, we've seen in training in the past where we've focused times on the high threat zones. You remember the posters in the briefing rooms with the uh, red, yellow, and green areas. And we see that we've been taught during the high threat zones that both pilots should be engaged. And, and frankly, the pilot flying the airplane is very engaged because they're actually flying. And the pilot monitoring should be just as engaged mentally monitoring the system of the aircraft and the, the progress of the aircraft on the approach, in descent, and all of those high threat zones. So we can see we've been taught how to apply our TEM toolkit defenses. Again, the posters that we have in our, our briefing rooms as everybody hopefully knows, they're also on your training menu. Uh, if you go in there, there's a little tab you can click on to the JetBlue Threat and Error Management model. Um, our model is a little bit more technically focused than a traditional CRM model, but you can see in our TEM toolkit defenses, we have uh, something that says teamwork. Well, that's also using the pilot next to you. That's more of the CRM model that I was speaking about. We should engage the pilot next to us. Things like communications and briefings. Uh, that doesn't always mean it's communication and briefing for the approach. That communication and briefing happens when we get to the airplane. Uh, just as we're talking about, there could be a lengthy time that we take to review the, the NOTAMs and the, the plan for departure from the airport. Uh, take time to, to brief your plan with the pilot next to you. Use the external resources available to you. Dispatch, possibly the, the duty chief. Um, I'll talk a little bit about the uh, dispatch responsibility because I, I do believe that's a very important part of what we're going to deal with. Uh, what if planning? Talk about plan A, plan B, uh, not only at the arrival airport, but also departure airports. Uh, what if there's low-level wind shear advisories in effect at your departure airport? The sure. system may be affected by that. Well, you as the pilot can it needs to come up with what you're comfortable with doing. And if you come to a decision where you're uncomfortable, I suggest that we reach out to dispatch, we reach out to potentially the duty chief, bring in those additional assets that you can actually show them for these reasons here, I'm uncomfortable going. We will always back up a pilot if they can come to a reasonable decision where they're uncomfortable to depart or continue, that if you can show the resources and steps you followed to come up with that decision are in the interest of safety, we will back up our pilots. Keep in mind those additional resources, uh, and, and it goes to teamwork. That's another one of our things in our defense toolkit. Um, your fellow pilot, again, dispatch the uh, duty chief. Uh, automation management. In training, uh, when we get in the uh, simulator, we're told today we're going to depart without the uh, autopilot and the auto throttle. Well, somebody is telling us to do that, but we're in the training environment, and I think we can all admit that we go out and operate with varying levels of automation once in a while. Uh, a high percentage of our pilots, a very high percentage of our pilots, leave the automation on almost the entirety of the flight. Now we're going to be told on some fleets that we have to reduce the automation. So we should think about that. Uh, the human factor side of that is is a, um, a definitely a consideration. What if planning their teamwork? Uh, if you see something that doesn't make sense, you should reduce the level of automation. 
Um, add time. Again, we saw that there's going to be potentially some delays. Don't rush. Take the time to get all the information you need to make the, the best decision possible. Um, slowing down en route can also potentially add some additional time. If you need to evaluate the arrival airport, the specific runway and approach you're going to be shooting, those are all valuable tools that we can use as part of our threat and error management model and the application of that. So as we look at joint dispatch responsibility, but a regulation is a regulation, whether we've been uh, taught it, uh, we, we have to abide by them. So we're talking about uh, the regulation under 121.533 and joint dispatch responsibility. And that says that the PIC and dispatch have joint responsibility to exercise operational control of a flight. Um, more specifically, it actually says that the operator and the PIC, and of course the operator will delegate its uh, personnel to have that joint dispatch responsibility. Most 121 operators mm -hmm. delegate that to the dispatcher. So I'm sure we can all tell stories of, uh, uh, you know, I've got my release and I plug that into uh, my WSI app or uh, my JEP app and I see it routes me right through the weather. Uh, well, too many times I've heard of, and it's very disappointing to hear that pilots are accepting that and uh, deciding that they're going to just add some fuel and depart. Well, according to that regulation, you just assumed 100% of the responsibility for the dispatch of that flight. And what you should have done was call dispatch and had a conversation with them and come up with an alternate means, a different route to remain clear of the weather uh, that could potentially have a different fuel planning load. And I, I say that because when we look at the release that we're going to have and, and potentially operate in these airports with 5G interference, if you have a question that you can't have answered by reading the document, you should reach out to your dispatcher. If you get into a position where you feel uh, you have additional questions or you want some additional information, that's when you should have that conversation with the dispatcher. You both have to agree on the joint dispatch of that airplane. So one or the other parties can say, today is not the time. But the correct place to make that determination is in the airplane with all of the information available. Don't speculate. Don't sit at home and get the phone call uh, on reserve that you need at the airport and try to make a determination on the couch when you're receiving that phone call. The time to make the, the, the call is with all of the information in front of you at the time where you're in the airplane when you can make the best decision possible. So bottom line takeaway for pilots as far as TEM and what we're expecting, what, what, is, what is the very best bet? What is the very best action we can carry out if we're uncomfortable with something? Absolutely. Add time. That's, that's part of our TEM toolkit. Add time. If it doesn't mean necessarily add time and slow down on the way to your destination, it could, you know, this whole thing applies to pre-flight planning as well. If you see an RA anomaly, if you see that they're not giving you the information you're expecting, if you see that they're not giving you the orals or the, the visuals that you're expecting, that means something's wrong. That means that they are being interfered with or they're not working correctly. Whether it's interference, it's a system issue, can't really fully diagnose that in flight per se, but that's where you know something's wrong. And that's where you, based on your situation, you might want to go around, give yourself time, or you turn off the automation, reduce the levels of automation, use those TEM kills at that time. You know, if you're a pilot monitoring, that's what you're looking for. If you're, and I, and I say this as an SQ pilot, if you're sitting on that jump seat as the third pilot monitoring these, and you see something that the other two aren't bringing up, now is a great time to bring it up. 
because that's where we could catch it before it leads to uh, retard or, or flare mode activation or, or something worse while we're coming in on the approach. So those are all areas where we can utilize those TEM skills, utilize what we've been trained and, and try to give ourselves an out before we drive ourselves into the corner. If you are uncomfortable with something you are seeing on that approach, go around. Change your situation. Get yourself in a position that you can control and that you can now give yourself time. And if that airport seems wrong, go somewhere else. This is a lot to take in. If this has hit the mark for you as a JetBlue pilot, please share this. If there's something that we're missing, if there's an additional question that you've got, a 5G PDR has been set up. Our telephone numbers are available for you. Our email address is available for you. And we, more importantly, are available for you. Day, night, weekend, text message, telephone call, whether it's Todd, myself, Blake, Doug, Vaughn, we're available to take your question. Please don't hesitate to reach out and get in touch with us. O500Z on the 19th of January is when we are expecting the telecom operators, AT&T and Verizon, to activate their 5G C-band within close proximity of a vast majority of our airports. This is the path that we're going down. The NOTAMs, the mitigation procedures, everything that we've learned from an SRA standpoint is what is getting us here and how can we best operate within the confines that we've got. I cannot thank each and every one of you enough for not only the dedication that you've poured into this over the last month and a half, but continuing to come back and educate our pilot group. Von Ritter, Central Air Safety Vice Chair, thank you so much. Doug Marchese and Todd Lysak from Chiplo uh, Alpha ADO, Chiplo Alpha Training Chair. Guys, thank you so much for joining us here on Ride Report. Thank you. Thank you. Ride Report, a podcast from the Master Executive Council of JetBlue Alpha for the union pilots of JetBlue.